When you have time to read more of the book of Isaiah, you'll see that he's a realist. He sees a world of violence and oppression. He doesn't pretend that everything is rosy when it's not. He needs the God that he's known over these years who's called him. He needs God to be his stronghold, to be his shelter from the storm, as he says in verse 4. But he knows that this world will end, that this is not all that there is. And so he sees something grand and glorious that God has shown him. Now, I'm not an expert on heaven or the last days, so I can't even begin to answer all the questions about how the triumph of God will eventually totally, completely come. This text doesn't answer all our questions, but it gives us some key information, and it is a call for hope and commitment and perseverance because God is active and alive. We see God's purposes being fulfilled on the earth We see God's victory and his mercy. So let's go back to the beginning of this text and read verse 1 again. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. As you'll see in your series in Genesis 1 to 3, God made plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. He's not winging it. He's never been up in heaven scratching his head or tugging his beard, wondering what to do next. That's not God. Even in these crazy times, he's bringing his plans to pass, both here and to the ends of the earth. Our lives are evidence of this, aren't they? We've seen that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We sang of it together as a congregation, God's people gathered together, worshiping in praise, turning our eyes to him, remembering what he has done. We see God's planning in Genesis 1 as we see him step by step doing what only he could do. And each day he pauses a moment and sees that it is good because he is good. You can almost see him smile right there at the beginning of all creation. In his perfect planning, he has taken us, his people, through trials and challenges. If this were open mic morning, Jason, maybe we should do it, right? In a fellowship like this, every one of us could tell a story in which we found that God's plans worked just right in the end. Each one of us has a testimony as we walked with him to see that he knew from the beginning things that we could not see. And what he did and what he planned were good. In the midst of turbulent times, how wonderful it is to know that our God plans, that his plans are perfect. He is in charge, and he has always had those plans, plans for us, formed of old, faithful, and sure. So based on that assurance from the past, and based on what we know is true about God now, we can look ahead to things that we haven't yet seen fulfilled. And that's where verse 6 takes us. We see Isaiah's glimpse into the future. Just as God has proven his faithfulness before, he will be faithful to the end and beyond. So let's read that part again. Verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You know, we look at these last verses and we're so encouraged, and we should be, because we know that God is speaking of us and to us about his promises for us, but the breadth of them is also breathtaking. Because Isaiah foresees the day when men and women from all the nations, those who have responded to him from all the people groups on earth, will no longer be defying him, will no longer be defying the God revealed here in the Bible. They will no longer bow down before false gods or revere false scriptures or idolize incomplete or inaccurate concepts of God or worship themselves. Instead, they will have been humbled and they will come in faith to the banquet on God's mountain. You know, that's why you sent your family that we were praying for today out to the ends of the earth with this good message because there will be peoples who have not heard before who will hear in this generation because of you, church. You are involved in seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah 25, and I hope you find joy in that. Yes, it's a long journey, but it's God's purpose. It's God's plan revealed here in his word, and what a promise it is. They will have this veil of sorrow ripped to shreds, and, will be and death will be defeated, and the shame of God's people will be removed, and tears will be gone. There'll be no more. That's what the future holds for the people of God. That's why we have courage for today and for the challenges of tomorrow, because this is where our future is. He's holding tight to us. His promises are sure and true, and they're for all the nations of the earth. So we go out with his good news. We cling to his promises, and we go. We cling to his promises and we send those who raise their hand and say, I want to be part of bringing people to the mountain. This is a call to missions if there ever was one. This good news is so good that we have to let other people know it. If these are the promises of God for his people, I want everyone to know them so they can become his people. Well, we'll see in a minute that the, nation, the mission of God is not based primarily on need. But I should share some of the need, just some examples for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take Pakistan with about 220 million Muslims. India with about 210 million Muslims and 1.15 billion Hindus. Bangladesh with almost 170 million Muslims. So in those three countries alone, you have almost 600 million Muslims and well over 1 billion Hindus who have not heard of the good news of Jesus Christ. These things that we hear, the Bible that we have, those things are foreign to them. And so the message still must go to them. That dilemma is great. The need for missions is great. Well, I chose that region of the world because your church has a dream of sending people to that part of the world. They have prayed and feel that, that would, if God would be pleased to do it, that there would be a, the ability to send a next generation, maybe some of you, to those places, to that region. Some of you will be sent. Do you feel God may be tugging on your heart for that? Don't ignore it. Don't say that was just indigestion or maybe some enthusiasm. <laughs> maybe God is talking to you, maybe saying, yep, you're the one I plan to send. Well, the great thing is you don't make decisions on, like that on your own. 
Together, you are part of a church community that is seeking to say, here from Downingtown, Pennsylvania, how can we impact near and far? How can we see the fulfillment of God's word and God's promises to the ends of the earth? Together, you are prioritizing reaching unengaged and unreached peoples. But you don't blindly, idealistically love people a world away in the abstract. That's good, and it might fuel your prayers, but amazingly, many people from those nations I named and their beautiful, beautiful families are right here in your neighborhoods. And your church has been called and, uh, to make reaching the, uh, the nations among us right here in our vicinity one of your intentional church goals. The need and opportunity are indeed great. Today is the day to keep moving forward in this. Wonderfully, God's call is not based only on need. As I said, the need is great, but if we focus there, we'll be overwhelmed. It's just too big. Those numbers I said, there's just too many zeros on them. It's how can that be? How can the scale of the problem be that great? We start focusing and keep our focus on that. We'll be overwhelmed. We'll sense our own weakness and we will be defeated. So where do we keep our focus? On God, on his wonderful perfections, his character, his incredible hospitality and generosity. We keep our focus on him. We lift our eyes above the hills where our help comes from, right? We look to him, the host of the banquet whose arms are open. He's saying, come, feast, enjoy what I have to offer you. Nations of the earth, come. If we listen carefully, we can hear the host of the banquet saying that. Let's keep our eyes focused on him and we will persevere to the end. So as you send out messengers from this church to Queens, in Minneapolis this summer. How many of you are planning to go to either one of those locations? Are some of you signed up for those opportunities? That's great. These people are taking with them an invitation to the banquet. They're going to go as learners. They're going to go humbly. They're going to see that there's uh, differences and they need to learn as they look at other cultures right here in our midst but they know that they've got good news that they need to figure out a way to share because some of those peoples they'll encounter, are, they're invited to the banquet as well. They just do not know that and they don't know how to get there. Well, that's the setting too for understanding the vision of Isaiah 25 verse three where he declares, therefore strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. So let's be real. There are strong peoples and ruthless nations out there. It could feel scary and impossible to bring the good news to them. The remaining unreached peoples remain unreached for reasons. It is hard to get the gospel to them. And if you get there, it's hard to stay. Strong peoples and ruthless nations, boy, we might be tempted to think let somebody else do it. But God, but God, is stronger than the stronger peoples, isn't he? We see this in verse two as he brings entire cities down. God is so powerful and so gracious that in the end, he will turn cities of ruthless nations to glorify him. We see this in the book of Jonah, don't we? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? They were ruthless. They were pitiless. They were merciless. He didn't want to go there. 
But what happened when the message of God, even a simple, straightforward one, was proclaimed to them? People repented. Even the king in sackcloth and ashes realized and turned. The powerful word of God, it will not return empty. It needs to be proclaimed. And I dare say that everywhere that I know of where the word of God is being proclaimed faithfully in the heart language of Muslim people groups, people are responding. Sometimes in ones and twos, tens and twenties, hundreds and more, and even thousands, God's word is moving powerfully in our day and age. But you know, as I look at this word ruthless, it makes me think of all the wars and unrest and injustice in so many countries and even what we see in our own. Cruelty, violence, murder. Amazingly, God can overcome the worst that man can do. God is pursuing his purposes amongst all peoples. We see that in verse 6 because he's preparing a banquet for all peoples. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. God is preparing a banquet for all peoples, not just the nice ones. Not just the one with democracies and stable societies. Not just in the countries that issue missionary visas and are relatively safe. All peoples, including the strong people and the ruthless nations that had opposed God and harmed his children. These people are being pursued by God because he is worthy of their praise. And therefore, we go forth with that message that out of those ruthless nations will arise the people of God filled with praise, glorifying the one who is worthy of it now and forevermore. He is not done. If he were done, it would be done. Okay, write that one down. God is pursuing the nations relentlessly. And he's saying, people of God, will you join me in this? Will you find your joy in sharing with me in my purposes? In the parable of the banquet in Luke 14, the host says, essentially, in verse 23, there's plenty of room. Here, I'll begin the quote. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. The host wasn't settled for an unfilled banquet hall. So he said, go out, get more to come in. God is filling his house in his way and his timing. And he's inviting Brandywine Grace Church into that process. And you as a church are saying, yes, yes, God. Yes, this is challenging. Yes, we don't know exactly how to do it. But if you lead us, we'll figure it out because it is your way, Lord Jesus. May your house be filled. You know, I've been around a, a long time, a while, and just in my lifetime, there's been a really a cosmic, seismic shift in global Christianity as the center of Christianity in sheer numbers has shifted from the global north, that's Europe and North America, to the global south, that's Latin America, Africa, and Asia. This is the fruit of previous generations of missionary work. Men and women who went out, took this good news, started ministries, and God just blessed them, and they went off, and church exploded in all of those locations. So that now Christians from Latin America, from Africa and Asia are saying, many are saying, please, we don't need 
missionaries from the north, from the west. We are being called out with the mission of God. Christians in the global south are stepping out in cross-cultural mission. So this is not about Americans taking on some burden to reach the rest of the world. That's not it at all. Don't hear me in that. What I'm calling you to do, and I think God is calling his people to, is to join him. People of all races, all ethnicities, those of us who've received the word of God and embraced it, to join him in the remaining task of reaching the unreached peoples. Boy, this is a joyful calling. He's calling us to join him in it. We don't have to sit on the sidelines and wait till everything turns out. No, Jesus says in Matthew 28, in his great commission, I'm sure many of you have memorized that and hold it close to your heart because it's a a life calling for many of us, isn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus has all authority. That's where it begins, right? I have authority. Go. And then he says, as you go, I am with you. What perfect bookends, what two-handed promise of the Lord Jesus as we go out and make disciples near and far. What's implicit in here is intentionality. We don't just meander through life. We seek how to make disciples. Boy, maybe some of you, you scanned the QR code to go to the guys event. Well, there might be guys in there who are newer in the faith and need brothers who are older in the faith to come alongside them. Maybe a Paul and Timothy kind of relationship, right? We can be encouraged that the opportunities to make disciples, those who do not have the good news or are brand new in the faith, those opportunities are right here if we have eyes to see. And as we minister by faith amongst those nearby, we start to say, again, this news is so good. How can it be that there are people who have never, ever heard? As disciples of Christ, we have the opportunity to be partners with him in his glorious mission. What a privilege it is to be a global Christian. On your website, uh, this term is defined really well. A global Christian is a disciple of Jesus who embraces God's heart for the whole world and desires to play their part in extending God's fame to the nations. They engage in the global Christian habits of sending, giving, welcoming, going, praying, mobilizing, and more. What your church leaders are saying this is they're not going to exalt those who go out as senders, Send, uh, as goers, excuse me. Goers are just part of the equation. How can they preach unless they are sent? Your church is saying senders, mobilizers, intercessors, there's places for all of us in God's purposes together as he moves Brandywine Grace Church further and further along this way. Your church leaders are saying, Christians, we know where we are going. Let's join as a church. We know where we are going. I mean eternity with the Lord, his promised place for us. Well, let's join together as a church to bring others along with us, both near and far, because there are plenty of places at the banquet left. In Revelation 7, 9, John sees this, a great multitude that no one could number. That's a lot of people. 
a great multitude that no one could number. And what were they doing? They were from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, worshiping him. Today, what we had was a bit of foretaste of that. Our hearts are touched. We respond to the Lord in song in heaven with people from everywhere, every tongue and tribe and nation. We will join in the praise for the only one who is worthy of such praise. Well, God's call to join him in mission is not an invitation to futility. He's not calling us to a hopeless task at all. This Isaiah 25 picture of the banquet helps us find our place in God's plan. These promises we've just read are sure and true, so we go out in hope, not futility. Through the finished work of Christ, we are know we are invited to the banquet, and our calling is to bring others to it as well. In John 14, Jesus has promised the disciples that he's going first to prepare a place for them. He's basically saying, don't worry, I've got this. And then he gives his disciples a joyous task of making disciples of all nations. Do you see the order? He reassures us, people, you are my people. You will always be my people. I am holding tight to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Let's read verse 7 to 8 one more time, because they're so beautiful. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. If this isn't good news, people, what is? This is the good news that we share. The good news is sure because God is doing it. And as verse 1 of this chapter says, he planned it long ago and is doing wonderful things to bring it to pass. Be encouraged, church. My family and I lived and worked in Asia for almost 20 years. We lived among peoples that are pretty rough. And in my experience, I can picture both strong peoples, those who dominate and rule others, and ruthless nations. Those are groups maybe driven by desperation and sin to lash out against everyone around them. I've seen tough Muslim men come to Christ melted by his love to the point of repentance and tears. I've seen these men forgive those who had harmed them, who had wronged them, who had caused them deep anguish. I've seen them grow responsive to the Holy Spirit in their lives. These are Muslim men who have come to the Lord Jesus, gathered together to fellowship, study God's word, and worship. You'll meet them someday, because we'll all meet at the mountain, won't we? We'll have stories to tell, from all the ends of the earth of God's faithfulness at the banquet together. The thing is that this is not limited to my experience or even my narrow experience. Our colleagues all over the Muslim world can report similar things. More Muslims are turning to Christ at this point in history than any time ever. This is a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be going out with the word of God because he is already at work, because he has a banquet and a banqueting hall to fill. Multitudes will be there from every tongue and tribe and nation. But yes, to bring the gospel to those places at heart is hard. This spring at one point, I was dealing with four different crises going on at the same time in four different countries. It's not easy, 
but he is worthy. We keep our focus on what's ahead of us, on the need ahead. We get lost and we get dismayed. We keep our eyes on him. We have our purpose and our perseverance. And we find our place. John Piper says it well. Not one prayer or one dollar or one sermon or one letter of encouragement mailed or one little light shining in some dark place. Nothing in the cause of the advancing kingdom is in vain. The triumph is sure. The key to our joy and hope in this violent, ruthless, often unlovable world is not hunkering down in some defensive posture or hanging on to the end. It's in going forth through these doors in prayer and proclamation with the vision of Isaiah 25. The cause of God that we are investing our lives in cannot fail. The nations will turn to God in worship. God will spread a banquet for all peoples. Cities of ruthless nations will revere him. He will remove all suffering and grief and disgrace from his people. He will put away death forever. This week, amen. This week, in your quiet times and prayers then, I'd like you to take what you've heard today and bring it back to God by opening up Isaiah 25 in your prayer closet to read and pray through the chapter. I'd like you first to take the ugliest, darkest personal situation that you are facing and put it before the master of the banquet, the one who's revealed his goodness here. You are his invited, his honored ones. Your name tags are written. Your name is spelled correctly. You are welcome. And church, these plans that he has for us were formed of old, faithful and sure. His plans to wipe away every tear. Lord, I see it. Thank you. To remove all disgrace. God, that's for me and my family. And swallow up death forever. Oh, would you be encouraged by this week's text for you? Oh, what a God we serve. Well, then we pause or pivot a little bit while still in prayer and realize that billions of men, women, and children, billions, not millions, billions of men, women, and children in many hundreds and hundreds of people groups don't have or know this word, can't experience the love of a heavenly father, don't know the Savior whose blood covers sin, and don't have the Holy Spirit empowering and indwelling them. So in prayer, we call out for God to make his name and fame known among the nations. This text helps us personally. It helps us intercede for the nations. It helps us then when we deal with the bad news. If we turn on the news tonight, we see something beyond terrible. Yet again, another bombing, another shooting, another stabbing, another famine caused by war that did not have to be. We say to God, I can't see it now, but I believe, verse 3, even strong peoples will glorify you, God. Even cities of ruthless nations will fear you. God, you are preparing a feast of food, a rich food for all peoples, and in Christ, I'm going to be there. I want to bring others with me. And as you pray to the Lord, you'll say, this banquet will have the best of meats, the finest of wines, and in Christ, I'm going to be there I must bring others with me. And God, because you are loving God and because you are worthy of the praise of all peoples, at that banquet will be peoples who are currently enfolded with a thick shroud. 
They are blinded by the ruler of this age. They are enthralled and enslaved by false religions. But you, God, you are destroying that shroud, removing that veil, and I and we will get to be able to see it at the banquet. What a banquet that will be. If a banquet in downtown Phoenix was so memorable, imagine the banquet in heaven with brothers and sisters from all peoples, from all languages and tribes and nations gathered together to worship the Lord. Verse 9 says, as we come to a close this morning, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Do you see the waiting? The people of God are waiting and yearning. There are people still who are waiting for this good news to come for the very first time, to become the people of God who then wait for his ultimate triumph. Maybe some of the guests at the banquet who are glad and rejoicing will be Muslim men, women, and children who will respond soon to the good news. Soon to the good news because you are sending to the nations, but also because perhaps you will be used here locally to be the ones who bring that good news to them. If you're wanting to learn how to share with them, please join us after church for a lunch Q&A and then a one-hour session called Communicating the Good News to Muslims. Brothers and sisters, together with others with a global vision and heart for God's purposes, we can and will impact the world through prayer, through sending and going. He wants to use us for his glory. What a calling. What a purpose. What a banquet. And verse 8 sums it up the best. The Lord has spoken.